Welcome to Hebrews Faith, a podcast focusing on biblical views for being a Christian. My name is Eric Hansen, founder of Hebrews Ministries, and I'm also a youth pastor. Now as I do every episode, I would like to start off with an opening prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for having this opportunity to be able to spread your word and be able to help reinstill faith for those that are losing it, or maybe those that are looking for it as well. I ask that this episode be able to reach out to those that need to hear it, or people that are able to share it as well, to those who also need it. And just so that your kingdom can be spread further on this earth in every way possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, no matter whether you're a baby Christian or a longtime follower of Jesus, we all deal with someone we know or care about leaving God at one, at least once. If you haven't heard of this yet, the lead singer of Hawk Nelson now says they don't believe in God. His background yet is strong in Christianity, being a pastor's kid, being in church for most of his life, and claiming God's presence. Now I want to look at what John Steingard, the lead singer, says is his reasoning for denouncing his faith. Now as I don't know his church, let alone him, I'd be talking about this as if he was a stranger coming to me with these thoughts. What he says led him away was, 1. Saying things like, Holy Spirit, come fill this place, just felt clunky to him. 2. When he went to a youth conference when he was younger, they pushed every teen there to pledge that they'll date Jesus for one year, and this felt manipulative to him. 3. If God is all-loving, why is there evil in this world? 4. Does free will mean that we suffer? 5. Why are there contradictions in the Bible? 6. There were things that him and his wife did that just felt like an obligation and not like there was any real reason behind it. 7. And this seems to be the most prominent of his, is that ministry just feels oppressive. And I'll be looking at each one of these individually some a little bit more in detail than others, and I'll explain why when I get to those points. So what I want to do first is talk a little bit about how he says that the Holy Spirit come through this place felt clunky to him. Now first, before going into this, it's important to know why this feels clunky or outdated to him, and he doesn't go into detail. But he just said that felt weird coming from his lips. There's really nothing wrong with having this feeling... But then if you have this, why are you forcing it? For example, in the last episode, we talked about Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. And I feel like that applies here too. If we're saying things because we think that will please God, then is there any real meaning or heart to it? God wants us to be real with Him, and we want Him to be real for us as well. So moving forward, for anybody that's questioning because of this feeling that they have, Don't just oppress it. Don't just say, well, it's just going to be a passing thing. Ask yourself why you feel that way. Maybe the Holy Spirit is just leading you not to say it for a little bit. Or maybe you just need to ask that question to a pastor or a good friend of yours. Again, this goes back to the first episode where we talk about having an accountability buddy, a spiritual guidance, if you will, to help you through these things. Now, secondly, he talked about going to a youth conference when he was younger and when he was there, the person speaking was pushing for every teen to pledge that they'll date Jesus and only Jesus for a year. And he felt that this was manipulative. 
As a youth pastor myself, I could definitely see where he's coming through on this, why he would think that would be, and I agree. I do feel that we shouldn't be pushing these things on kids. But we also have to remember that these are moments we will find ourselves either speaking up or staying silent. And since he doesn't really say whether he did one or the other, we have to look at it on both sides of the coin. If he didn't speak up, then honestly I feel like he should have. I feel like he should have said something to the speaker there, whether it be in front of everyone or if it's just in private. Now if he did speak up, then why is this still weighing heavy on him? You have to think that this was quite a few years ago. He did everything that he could. So then, why is it so important to him now? Especially with him being married. Now, as I've said, I'm a youth pastor. And this is something that would never push on my group. I want to put them in the place to experience it, if I can help it. But this is also a good teaching ground as well, to show them that you need to stand strong in your faith. Now, like I said, I do agree that this is manipulative, but this also really feels like there's one side of the story as well. really just feels like there's more to it, but just that the blame is um, a single person or object that they can't change, they don't have control over. You should still be focusing on things that you can control, such as speaking up or staying silent. His ultimate response to this event was that he didn't sign the agreement. And that's it. Now he also brought up, if God is all-loving, why is there evil? And that's a good question. This is something a lot of people that are talking to non-believers have to answer. I feel to properly answer this type of question, we need to have enough time dedicated solely to this question. So I want to discuss this further in detail in another episode, but seeing as how this is one of his reasons for denouncing his faith, I'm still going to address it the best I can right now. God is righteous. We know that. It says in the Bible. And the Bible also highlights how he loves us and that he does love us and his pain when we sin. The Old Testament is riddled with this. And even in the New Testament, we can see this, especially through Jesus. And this kind of segues me into the next topic, which, again, I would rather spend a more dedicated amount of time towards. But again, seeing as how this is his, one of his reasons for leaving, I'll at least touch base on it right now. And that's free will. If we have free will, does it mean that we suffer? But I will say to this, because there's essentially two sides to this, is free will and then predestination, is that if you do believe in free will, or choice, then the answer is yes, you will suffer. If you believe in predestination, then yes you will suffer as well. The fact is, is that God is fully sovereign, and he already knows that we'll suffer, and how we'll react to that. I love it is to remind us that God loves us, and that we need God to continue through life. And again, like I said, I'll discuss this in further detail, but I feel like there's at least a good enough baseline response to what he said. Now, I'll be honest, this one frustrated me quite a bit because he doesn't go into any real detail. But he does say that there are contradictions in the Bible and he doesn't know why. If the Bible is infallible and God-breathed, then why are there differences between? 
like I said, he doesn't go into detail. But from what I've read, what I've listened to, and things of that nature, the two frequent ways people come to this conclusion is that they're looking at verses out of context, or they're looking at the context, but without considering the idea of when and why something was written. We'll cover this in a little bit when we get to the the process of ministry part. But to touch base on this, without knowing the full details, which he doesn't really go into on any of his points, let's be honest, is that there's a lot of possibilities. And one of them could just be through the translation that he's reading. For example, you take the same passage passage between the ESV, English Standard Version, and the NIV, the New International Version. Both are highly regarded and often used in different churches. But yet the passages can be quite different in how they're delivered and how they're read. Does it mean that they're wrong? No. It just means that that's how the, the committee that created that Bible viewed the text from the original. There's certain parts about the Bible that are more historical than anything else. And some of it you just need to be able to understand what the Hebrew or Greek is saying in order to truly understand what is going on. It can be very difficult, but it can also be a very explorative and interesting avenue to go down. I do believe that the Bible is infallible. I do believe that it is God-breathed. And I do believe that there is nothing contradictory in the Bible. And we do have to remember, though, that the Bible is not written for us, but it's written to us. And the difference might seem small, but it's quite important. If the Bible was written to us, it wouldn't apply to anybody but us. But yet it applies to generations and generations of people that came before us and will come after us. Even in the communities that we're around, whether it's in the church or Bible study or anything like that, even in our family, people are going to view the Bible differently in the same context. You can have a study on John 3.16, for example, and people will see it differently. That's just how the Bible is. The Holy Spirit works through us in different ways, and we shouldn't expect it to be the same for each and every single one of us. So another reason that he gave, and this is kind of interesting, is that he felt that him and his wife were doing things out of an obligation and not anything that were enjoyable. He doesn't go into details as to what this is, how long it lasted, or anything like that. Context is key not only in the Bible, but when you hear someone's story, whether it's coming into or away from faith. We have to remember that we're all going to face these seasons of pain. We're all going to face seasons where we don't want to open up the Bible. We don't want to speak to God. We don't even want to know that He exists for whatever the reason may be. But we're also going to face these seasons where we love God, where we want to be in His Word, where we wish we could just be with Him right now. That we just want to bask in the glory and the light that that He offers us, right? Another thing that we need to consider, though, when it comes to feeling like things are an obligation or not enjoyable is our environment. These are things such as what our home environment looks like, how our work is, how our church is even. Are we going around and visiting people that have the same Christian mentality as us? 
Are we questioning things to be stronger in our faith? These are all type of things that we need to consider when we feel like things are an obligation, or even when they're not. I said earlier that he came up in a church family. So does that mean then that he just felt everything was supposed to be that way because that's just how it's been? Not necessarily. I mean, churches do need to adapt to what goes on in the current days. But that doesn't mean that they need to change their entire identity either. I know for me, I've dealt with this, where things just felt like an obligation and I was going through the motions. Things that just felt like they should be done that way, but I had no real reason or idea why. And one of the things that came to that was praying. Sometimes I feel awkward saying, Dear God, in my prayer. But then when I say, Dear Father, it just feels right. Now I'll go into a f- more explanation of this in a further episode because I've had conversations about this with a friend of mine. But these are the type of things that we can look at in terms of how to make things a little bit, a little bit more enjoyable. Maybe we just need to change up our wording, but yes, yeah, still have the same intention or love behind it. And last, but certainly not least on his list of reasons for leaving his faith, is that ministry feels oppressive. From what I can gather by looking at his Instagram, he is talking about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-14. through 14. And as I said earlier, we need to look at the context and the time that things were written. And I'll be reading from the ESV, verses 8-10. through 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The verses here are saying that women in the church should dress pure and not try to be seductive or try to be provocative towards the men. However, we also can look at this as removing the possibility that the women would be putting themselves in danger in tempting men, and that if men want to be with them, let it be for pure reasons and not because of their skin. Next we'll look at verse 11, which says, Let a woman learn quietly without submissiveness. Now here Paul is not saying that women can never speak, but that they should pay attention to what they are reading. Back then, women were not very literate, so they were expected to gain their knowledge from those who could read and write. And again, this goes back to what I've said a few times now in other episodes. We learn by listening and not by talking. And this isn't to say that women should not ask questions or try to speak up. If women are not able to read from the scriptures, then how are they able to teach others as well? The last verse I'll go through is verses 13 and 14 seem to be a supporting verse as well to this one, is verse 12. And verse 12 reads, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Paul here is saying that women should not teach men or have authority, such as being a pastor. So then, what if a woman has a gift of teaching? Pastoral eldership, in that time, and by Paul's accounts, only fit for specific men, so it's not even like all men are capable of doing so. 
And women are allowed to teach, just not in the pulpit. So, if they want to be a teacher of the youth, then they would be more than welcome to. They can also help teach people how to use technology nowadays, be good stewards, help with administration, or anything in that nature. There are many ways that people, women, children, and others can help the church. So then, what do we do about these situations? Well, there's always going to be influencers in our ears, whether positive or negative. Going back to last week, I mentioned how if you don't have a strong foundation in your salvation, then you'll be easily swayed in the storms. And this here is a prime example of what I'm talking about. Now, I've been down this route before, questioning faith and where I stand, wondering if God is even real, because if so, then why do I feel the things I do? It's what led me to be agnostic for 20 years of my life. To that, though, what brought me back was being around people who cared about me. Seriously, if you don't go to a church, and a loving biblical church at that, I definitely implore you to go to one. Now, a few years ago, at my day job, we hired someone for a leadership position, and later on through a conversation, I found out that he was also a pastor. He didn't push anything on me when we talked or thwack me with the Bible, but he did answer my questions. And at the time, I always viewed Christians who say, I mean this with all the love as satirical annoyances back then. He, however, was the first one in believe that meant it genuinely. My point here really is to surround yourself with people you want to be known by. Perception is reality, after all. As Christians, we are called to fellowship with fellow Christians, people who can lift us up and guide us when we become lost sheep. Now, as I was reading through John's Instagram post a few times, trying to make notes for this episode, everything that was said just screams unloving community to me, from his father-in-law to the youth conference person, and even to his church. Let's remember that we need to test all the spirits, yes, but we also need to be able to remove the scales from our eyes and see his truth. If you're able and wanting to, I ask that you please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing us with the ability to deliver this message and to reach out to those who need to hear it and those that may be able to help those that do as well. We know that sometimes we do get lost in the struggle of life. Sometimes we may forget how to find you. We just ask that you be that beacon light for us always when we do go through those times, go through those seasons, that we do find a way back to Jesus and find a way back to our neighboring community, back to the community of love and respect and a community that we could depend on to help us keep in line. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I want to thank you for listening to Hebrews Faith, and if you haven't yet, feel free to subscribe. A new episode comes out every week, and our website, HebrewsMinistries.org, is always there for you to ask questions that you may have. With that said, until next week, have a blessed season of growth.